Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Perry Moffner, who is the principal of Moffner & Co. and a seasoned Vistage chair in Ohio. Perry, how are you today? I'm great, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. Looking forward to chatting with you. Looking to, forward to hearing about, well, your insights and your journey from working inside organizations to really working high level with senior leaders. So before I spoil your background too much, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Oh, great. Um, well, I guess it's a, it, everything's a journey, right? Uh, and, and it all leads you to where you are currently. So uh, my journey started quite a while ago, and, and it really started in an entrepreneurial business in retail, um, joined a company, it had one location and it joined as a, a back then an associate manager. And before long, we had uh, seven stores, roughly about $20 million in revenue. And I was the, the VP of operations at, in my early 20s. And so it was really one of the, and for anybody who's worked in retail, it's kind of a last man standing rule where you, you get promoted if you happen to still be there. And so kind of stumbled into that and cut my teeth on those types of uh, getting that involvement in corporate strategy and understanding how to do everything from build, um, you know, build location, staffing, advertising, marketing, managing, uh, a lot of the stuff I learned uh, how not to do was there, making a lot of mistakes on my own. And then left there, I've, I've worked in landscape construction. I've taken companies through chapter 11 bankruptcies and reorganizations. Along the way, I got my MBA, started teaching an MBA program, um, went to work at a couple really large multi-million dollar companies, uh, had the benefit of sitting in, you know, for those of you that are uh, that have ever heard of uh, uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, worked for a Berkshire Hathaway company, and one of the highlights of my career was sitting doing a presentation of my budget for my part of the organization with Charlie Munger in the room, and so... That was uh, that was enlightening to say the least. Um, and then it went on from there. Ran a couple of small companies for owners. I've done that for about four or five different owners uh, in all kinds of different industries, which kind of led me to becoming a Vistage chair because I've worked in about seven or eight different industries and always found that I could be industry agnostic because what I brought to the table wasn't industry knowledge. And they're typically every company I've ever worked in, they had enough of that. There were plenty of people there who knew the industry. And so what they usually needed is somebody who wasn't as steeped in that and worked more in the medium of the people, which is where I've spent most of my career is really understanding people from an emotional and behavioral standpoint, and then trying to help folks release what's already inside of them so they can be successful. That's awesome. So, I mean, definitely a depth and breadth of experience. But what I think is really cool there is, I mean, you said it yourself, is taking all of that experience and there's like the industry experience, but what connects all of those is, is the human being component of it. You know, what motivates people, how teams can work effectively together and whether you are in retail or whether you're in professional services or whether you're in cleaning supplies, you know, at the heart of everything is people and, and how they work together. So, yeah, really excited to dive deeper into that. For those people that don't know, can you tell people what, what Vistage uh, what Vistage is and what Vistage groups are? 
Sure. Vistage is an international organization. It's been around since the 50s, and they focus on developing peer advisory groups of everyone from CEOs all the way down to emerging leaders in organizations. And it's a worldwide organization. I think roughly right now got about 23,000 members all over the world. And it's, it's great. I mean, it's why would you want to hear from one person when you can hear from 12 or 14 people that are actually sitting in the same seat you're sitting in? You know, people with similar problems, similar challenges, and their peers. And it's, I think it's really powerful. I, I don't think, I know, I watch it every day when peers are talking to each other, sharing their, their adventures, I'll call them. And the, those are the mistakes and the successes that they have. And it's a powerful thing when somebody asks a question and they get feedback from somebody that's actually doing it instead of from somebody like me who's out of that game now and I'm a facilitator um, and, and I play a different role for them. But I always tell somebody, why would you want one person's opinion when you could have 10? Yeah, exactly. And in Canada, um, which is where we are, I lead a CEO peer group with McKay CEO forums, which is very similar. But why I think it's cool, and, and Perry Charity spends like the majority of time leading these groups, is that you really hear from experience versus uh, ideas and advice. It's really, here's what I did, here's what I learned, here's what worked and what didn't work. And it's super enriching as a chair, so fellow chairs, to really hear like what people are doing. So, you know, Perry's experience, and I'm excited to delve into more, is not only leading it himself, but being actively in the game, watching players at a high level, arguably the highest level, talk about what's going on and taking snippets of those components but you know 12 people at a time multiple times per month is really really high level and i imagine you know obviously the the sharing perspectives there so maybe we'll start as you know very what have you found as being one of the important ingredients or important factors to having a CEO be successful in their organization. So, you know, whether you want to take that from a leadership perspective, whether you want to take that from like a organizational effectiveness perspective, but like, what have you found are some of the, not necessarily characteristics, but as our listeners listen and, and they're leading teams and they're trying to elevate their own capabilities and capacities to execute, what are some of the ingredients that you've found make a, a successful leader or a successful organization? They kind of go together, and, and I think that the biggest piece of this, and, and it's also what I'll tell you, I think it also makes people a, a successful Vistage member or a peer group member or any of those things, and, and some of it's just fighting our own cultural development. And I think the single biggest thing is what I'll call intellectual humility, and that means that leaders and organizations, the really successful ones, are convinced that they don't have to have all the answers themselves. And when you talk about strategy or leadership or any kind of function, the ability and willingness to embrace other people's opinions and perspectives before making a decision and not being convinced that you already, quote unquote, know the answer is probably the single biggest thing. Because once that's released from you, once and I think it's a Western culture thing, you know, we, we're typically raised to believe that in the individual, you know, it's it's if you get promoted from knowing. You, get, you don't get promoted by making mistakes, but in reality, mistakes are where learning happens and being able to have enough confidence in yourself that doesn't flow over into egotism to know that I'm confident in my ability, but I'm also confident enough to know that I can make mistakes and still live to fight another day. And I should be asking other people what they think and learn from others so I don't have to repeat other people's mistakes. 
especially as an organization begins to scale because you end up hiring lots of smart people. And the, the other part of that intellectual humility is really successful leaders will hire people that are smarter than them. And that's a, a delicate dance, right? I mean, we always, uh, you know, that uh, it was, it's really funny. We you know beware of uh, hippos, right? The highest paid person's opinion. Hmm. And, and there can be a little bit of an echo chamber in some organizations and that's dangerous. I was left with the hippo analogy thinking, you know, and if you're listening, which you probably are, cause you're here, uh, you know, what, is the impact of having the hippos leading the charge. Do people feel like they can openly share or do they feel they have to agree because the, the CEO says something and then if you're on the seat. So one, if you're a CEO, look to see if your voice is dominating the conversation, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And then I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is the practice of intellectual humility. I remember two days ago, I did a talk to the French community, like French from France community here in Vancouver. And it was on doing an elevator pitch and, and talking about, you know, how to present yourself and, and all of that. And for them, they have too much humility where they don't like want to talk about themselves. And so what I re related to here is like, it's like a cultural thing. And of course we have listeners from, from India, from Europe, from Asia, you know, we have listeners from all over the world. So in the realm of intellectual humility, you know, what are some of the things that you can do with either as a practice or as a sort of like checkpoint to see, um, you know, am I being that kind of leader that is letting the best answers rise to the top? Or what do I need to do to be able to allow myself to make mistakes or to make let other people make mistakes? Well, I think that the biggest thing is just being open, emotionally intelligent about your impact on other people. And I think EQ, you can't see a list of any, there you know, tons of articles out there about what, what are the traits of successful leaders. And I think you're hard pressed to find any that don't have EQ or emotional intelligence in the top five. And I think it's being aware of our impact on other people. And mm -hmm. so we can sit in a room. I, I tell most of the leaders I work with, I said, you have to understand it doesn't matter what you intend. What matters is, the dynamic that you see in most organizations. And, and again, we've been raised from this from a very young age, right? We, there's, there's a person that's always in charge. And so we're, we're predisposed that when we're in a room, there's a hierarchy. And so we read who the, how the hierarchy runs. And the minute that person that's quote unquote in charge speaks, it alters everything else. And in fact, I tell most of my folks, if you're in a room and there's a conversation going, the biggest, the best thing you can do is not add to the conversation. Let it go. Be an observer in the room and let those people figure it out. Because the reality is once you make a statement, all the conversation stops, regardless of what you intend, because you've just made a statement and there are going to be very few opportunities for people to constructively challenge you. Now, you can develop that culture, but the easiest thing for you to do is have the emotional intelligence to understand the dynamic that exists in the room. And if you have an opinion, and this would be my next, the next hint to give the people is ask a question. Don't make a statement. Mm. You know, there's a great book out there. Edgar Schein wrote a book called Humble Inquiry. And, and I have all my members read it because one of the things he says is humble. He defines humble inquiry as accessing your own ignorance. And very rarely do leaders ask questions they genuinely don't know the answers to. And that's what I would recommend that leaders do is ask questions you really don't know the answer to. Ask questions that you want people to answer, not ones that lead people down a road to where you want them to go.
That's as funny as you say that I find myself because we have a team over here and I'm like, you know, am I asking questions? Am I asking genuinely a leading question because I want them to get up to where I am, like <laughs> figure it out or, you know, asking really the question and, and having it as a group inquiry. And as I, you know, talk that out in my head, it's like when you ask a question that you genuinely don't know the answer to, it's sort of a way of you. I mean, you're entering the conversation is one way to look at it. Like you're entering the same conversation they are having as, as a teamwork exercise in solving the exercise or solving the problem. But I can also see it as like elevating the people to your level because you're, you've pulled them up to where you are instead of talking downward to them in, in terms of like, hey, here's, here's the answer. Um, do you find that, that to be the case when leaders you know, get into that uh, humble inquiry? Oh, by all means. I mean, you're, there's a there's a great quote, and I'll paraphrase it, but it's essentially a, you can't teach people anything. You can only lift them up to show them the view from where you're standing, and that really is what you're trying to do. At, at, a, at the very core, leaders, I think the biggest challenge a leader has is you're effectively trying to teach people how to think. You're trying to expand their horizon so that they can they can see things from your perspective. Because the wider that perspective the better the decision-making becomes because they're taking more things into account. And so asking questions is a, is a wonderful way to do that, especially ones you don't know the answer to. And, and another little hint is, is try to refrain from asking why-based questions. Because when we ask a why-based question, we're essentially implying that judgment is soon to follow. As in, like, why did you ask this? Or why did you think about this? Or, like... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why, why did you, like, if, if you, if somebody asks you, why did you do that? Very, very often what's going to happen, regardless of your answer, you know, judgment is next because what comes after that is what well, you shouldn't have done that. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did we make that decision? Why did you select to go that route? Because it, it, the natural inclination is, is we're going to tense up because now as soon as I'm asked a why question, my natural response is to defend. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I say, so for instance, say something went wrong and I say, well, why did you decide to do that? That's one question. But if I said to them, well, can you walk me through what your thought process was on what you were trying to achieve with that decision? Those are two different statements that elicit two very different responses. Yeah. And you have to say in a way like it has to be communicated again, that community, that emotional intelligence to be like, not ask that same question. It's like, can you please walk me through what led you to come up to that decision where they're going to have to be justifying, but genuinely as like a appreciative inquiry, trying to understand, okay, let me, let me look at your work, not just the answer, but in a, in a right. team perspective. Well, and that all comes down to humility. It's all, we're all equal. You know, that, that the, the team will very much understand if that's the case or not. If we're all in this together and I might be the de facto leader, but I, but I value everybody else's opinion and we're only as strong as our weakest link, I don't want everybody to look at me because I'll tell you what else happens, Anthony, is I see a lot of leaders who get frustrated with their team because all of the team defers to them. But then when we start to, when we start to really dig into how the people behave, they've created that situation because they don't allow people to make decisions because I'm the smartest person in the room and I have all the answers. So you know, that's okay at first. And then when it leads to everybody in the room kind of checking out saying, well, it doesn't matter what I think because Joe's going to make whatever decision they want and all the decisions start to get deferred, then the leader gets frustrated. And my statement to them is, well, you're now in the, you're, you're created this role for yourself. 
It isn't their fault. You conditioned them to behave this way. I think you frame that it, it is really the conditioning on both sides, you know, and regardless of where you're at on this, you know, EQ perspective, giving the answers, asking questions, you know, it is a conditioning. You you might not have been born that way or you might have gotten to a certain way and it is a process and, you know, taking into the habit of incorporating one or two of these things ongoingly to, you know, create a new environment where people can, can work together. A anything else you wanted to add on there before we maybe take a little bit different direction there, Greg? But no, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to go whatever direction you want to go. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, in terms of the Vistage, because a lot of people didn't know or don't know that these peer groups exist. And why I think they're really cool is that as a CEO or as a executive, because you know, they're not limited to there, that you do get those different types of leadership styles that you can learn from other people. And by nature of the conversations that those groups have, you are hearing the not the why question, but sort of the how did you come up with that reasoning? And you don't have to ask it. So you get the benefit of that without actually having to ask the question, how did you get there? Because that's like the structure of the sharing. And what it will do is if you're trying to uh, elevate your leadership style, you get to see 10 or 12 or 14 different types of leaders and how they do things on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's a really good, what I would call coaching framework for oneself to develop. And um, I'll also say it's a very safe space because if you're not used to having that humility, then when you're in a room with those people, you'll get gut checked really good. And you need to realize that you need to be at a level playing field versus it might be a little bit, um, it might feel less safe if you're trying to be that open with your employees because your employees might not have that same understanding. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to communicate here, Perry? And, and is your experience the same? Oh, I, I agree 100%. And I, I actually tell my members, the group is not served by you bringing your best self to this meeting. Because typically, right, leaders in our organizations, whenever they show up somewhere, they have the mask on. They have the mask of uh, perfection on, which is I have to know all the answers. I have to be decisive. I have to, I have to give direction. I have to provide clarity because that's what they do all day because they certainly don't want to go into their organization and, and express all of their doubts and concerns and misgivings about themselves or their style or their decision-making. And I think to your statement about being a safe space, one of the things I tell people is uh, that, that space and safety, there's space and safety there for you to experiment as a leader. And you can come into that meeting on that day of the month and you can be uncertain. You can express doubt and concern and anger and anxiety and all of those things that you can't do the rest of the month. And so it's very refreshing for leaders to be able to come in. And some days they just say, look, I, I don't have it today. Like, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And it's okay because there's no judgment. Well, our favorite saying is there's no judgment, no blame, and no shame. First of all, awesome. If you're wherever you are in the world, they're all over the world, find that, find an advisory group that supports you, but a framework for you to not have to be your best self because, you know, better or worse, when you are in your organization, sometimes you have to put that happy face on to be a leader. And I think it also depends on your leadership style. Sometimes you can be really raw and honest, but sometimes people actually just need you to put on a face and like <laughs> smile and, and get through the day. So 
I want to ask in terms of we've talked about this at the senior leadership level or the manager level to have a peer group supporting. Now, if we brought that down into the organizational level and I don't know how exactly to communicate this, but what have you seen works or what do you do in your practice to create like a coaching framework, to create like an agreed upon definition of what leadership is and maybe what is expected or or what would be required, but so that everybody understands, like, I guess it's like a coaching framework internally. Is it, Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I I think that that's one of the things I see. I see some gaps for for organizations, and and typically when I hear frustration from people, when I when I hear people say we need leadership training, uh, first of all, it's it's never leadership training; it's leadership development, right? Because training is you train pets, you know, you you don't train people because we can we certainly do. There are things we train, but they're more rote memorization. Like I can train somebody how to do a process. I can train somebody on a checklist. But leadership development is never can never be that, and leadership development is is horribly inefficient, and it should be, and it can we should never want leadership development to be efficient, right? So that's a whole other discussion. But we we don't want efficiency out of leadership development. So when I hear that bubble up, when I hear that conversation around leadership, the first question I ask is, well, in in your organization, in the inside these four walls, what is your definition of leadership? What behaviors are you expecting? And I will tell you that a greater proportion of the time, you know, well over 50% of the time, I get kind of a blank stare. And I think that's the starting point for organizations, because much like if you take two words like leadership and strategy, you know, two of the most overused and misunderstood words in, in, uh, in business lexicon, the challenge is everybody's got an opinion. And if I sit the leadership team down and say, write me down the one sentence definition of leadership and the five traits that you think belong there. I'm probably going to get some very different answers. And so that's the start of it. The start of it is, well, let's all decide within these four walls what we believe leadership is and let's work from there. And so I think that's very important for organizations because unless I've agreed upon what behaviors I expect, how do I enforce them? I'm just writing there because it would the, the, just de- deciding on what it is and agreeing upon it. And then within our four walls, you know, one of the things that you might have found as you were leading teams or executing strategy, whatever strategy means to you or doesn't. By the way, I was I'm like strategy and leadership podcast. It's broadly open. It's the two most uh, <laughs> unclear words right. in, in business strategy. <laughs> but it's, it's having that what does that mean? And I think so often in organizations outside of what is our strategy, what is our vision, what is our mission, et cetera. But it's like just like vernacular that people use that sometimes they hear it and have no idea what it means. And if you ha- are using different languages, you can imagine if you are trying to organize a project with eight people talking a different language, you know, Japanese, French, Italian, Chinese, you know, you're going to have a really hard time agreeing on stuff and getting stuff forward. So I see that there's a really important piece to take on in terms of agreeing on what that means. And, you know, in practice, I guess it just means like either having a meeting or just having that conversation to get it down on paper. Right. And and just, just, just bringing up the topic, you know, just, just sitting around with the team, with the leadership team and saying, what do we believe leadership is? Like, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was Drucker, uh, Peter Drucker said, leadership is not defined by attributes. It's defined by results. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we also can't lose sight that leadership is not designed in a vacuum. Like you're not doing leadership to me. This is my opinion is a means to an end. 
Like, so if I'm investing time and effort in developing leaders in an organization, I should see a better result in my, inside my organization by whatever metrics we've decided to measure it by. But we have to do it in context of that. We can't just become really, you know, we can't just gather around the fire and sing kumbaya and say we're better leaders. I mean, that doesn't work. We have to, we have to be developing it for some reason. And that can be for our family, for our community, for our company, because the best definition of leadership I ever heard in my life was, was, it was by David Foster Wallace, an American author. And he said, uh, leaders are those who help us overcome our own selfishness, weakness, laziness, and fear to do better, more important work than we could ever do alone. And to me, that is the perfect definition of a leader because we have to overcome our selfishness, weakness, laziness, and fear. And that's what leaders do. It doesn't mean in context of a business. It means how am I helping my community? How am I leading my family? How am I, how am I offering influence positively to my friends? And I tell everybody that I work with in, in leadership, I'm like, look, leadership is all about a, a decision. First of all, you have to decide to be a leader every day. It's a decision you have to make over and over and over again. It's not a title or position. It's an act. And then the second piece of that is what great leaders do is they, we have a choice in every, every interaction we have every day. Now, I don't care where, not just at work, everywhere. So every time we, we interact with a person or a group, we have an option to build up or tear down. Great leaders build up more than they tear down. Nobody does it 100% of the time. Nobody can possibly do that. But if our goal is always to build up people within organizations or our friends or our family, instead of tearing them down, that's what leaders do. They make the one choice more than the other. Well, that was uh, profound and awesome in the sense that it inspired awe. And I think that, you know, for our, for our leaders, and I assert if you're listening to this podcast, your intention is to become a better leader and a leader to an end and elevating the people around you. Some of the things that you can take on is exactly what, what Perry shared and, and even just the context of leadership guiding you on a day-to-day -day basis for like what is the purpose of your existence. Is it a, a title or is it really like an embodiment of how you how you do things? And, and Perry, I really want to thank you today because I think it, it definitely provided a, a shift in perspective on leadership that I don't think is presented regularly, included including on this show and by myself. So thank you for your contribution to me and thank you for you know, really making everybody a, a better leader uh, and help them on their leadership odyssey, not just, you know, ticking a box of doing leadership development or leadership training. Well, I, <laughs> oh, and I, I very much appreciate the opportunity. And it's awesome that there are folks out there like you, Anthony, doing this where you're going out and finding people and talking about it, because I think that it's, it's you know, for me, as, a, as someone who works with lots of leaders, I always direct them to resources like podcasts, because I think it's great for there's so many of them and there's so much content out there. It's, it's, so, it's such a great time to be able to direct because every day, every time I meet with somebody, I'll, I'll say, have you heard, uh, there's a, a great podcast on this. I'll send you the link. And it's, it's just great to have that kind of availability of people to listen to. And so I, I greatly admire what you do. And, it's, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you. Well, thank you. I think it's um, in the world where we're at, you know, people need it. And sometimes there's just not of it out there. So if you um, if you have somebody, so now speaking to the listeners, if you have somebody in your life that is on a hunt for developing themselves so they can empower others, please share this podcast with them because you never know what this will be able to do for their relationships, both at work 
for them to be more successful in their jobs, but also to be an impact and a driver in their relationships, like at home and personally in their community and anything else that's important to them. So a great gift, I believe you can, is to actually share this podcast with these people. Not for us, although we would love to have you subscribe and join, but really because it could change that person's life forever. So uh, Perry, where can uh, where can people get a hold of you? And if they want to connect or learn more or potentially be part of one of your Vistage groups in, uh, in uh, Ohio. They can visit my website, which is perrymoffmer.com, or they can reach me, uh, email me at perry at perrymoffmer.com. Perfect. And it's P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-U-G-H-M-E-R, just so we're all on the same page with the spelling. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Thank you. Thank you again for your time, Perry. It's been uh, really a pleasure chatting with you. Yep. You too, anything. I appreciate it. My guest today has been Perry Moffner, who is a Vistage chair and the principal of Moffner & Co. LLC. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I hope you got a lot of takeaways to lead and uh, develop your team with. And I really look forward to sharing with you next time. So thanks for the time. Be sure to uh, share, like, subscribe, and we will catch you next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.